Hey there, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Appreciate the fact that you guys have stomached Keith and I for as long as you have. We enjoy bringing the show your way and appreciate your patronage. Want to remind you, by the way, that the season ticket renewal deadline is rapidly approaching. It's in mid-April, April 15th. If you haven't renewed your season tickets for football, go ahead and do so for the 2022 season. A lot to like based on what we've seen so far at spring practice. For all the information, go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets. Uh, that's if you're going to renew. Or if you want to get tickets for the first time, you can get a reserve seat for all home games. Uh, they range in price from 330 bucks to 800 bucks uh, all in, depending on the seat location. Again, Seminoles.com backslash tickets to answer those questions as we count it down to the 2022 campaign. That said, let's count it down to the start of Front Row Knowles, which is right now. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Keith, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Tommy. Doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. The calendar's about to hit June. Baseball postseason is here. You know what happens in July? We do this about every other week. Football practice starts. So we're a month away from the start of football practice, sort of. That's a loose interpretation. Maybe six weeks, but uh, I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, ACC Media Days will be in the middle of July. It's not not long now is what I'm saying. However, should baseball not advance after this weekend, then it does get pretty long. We need, we need one more does. week of Supers, and, and an Omaha trip always – adds to uh, the shortness of summer, shall I say. We're going to have Eric Allen, the voice of the Seminole baseball team, join us later on. We'll talk about the matchup at Auburn this week. First, though, Keith, because this is going to get glossed over because we expect it. Uh, it's like death and taxes, and that's Florida State baseball going to the postseason. But 44 straight years ties a national record with Miami. And, and before we get into the fact that uh, Florida State is is maybe, well, not maybe, but they're not at the same level that they once were or were for a long time with baseball. L- let's tip our cap to 44 in a row. That's pretty good. Without question. And obviously that makes it the longest continuous. And I think the next closest uh, for continuous currently is, you know, half of that. Uh, but it just speaks to the consistency. Now, the naysayers will say, yeah, but you didn't win the big one. You, you've been runner up twice, I believe it is, but you haven't won the big one. But you know, Tommy, uh, and, and all the things that we've talked about with football and all the things that we're beginning to talk about with Coach Hamilton and basketball and what Sue has done on the ladies' side, you know, it does beg the question, would you rather have consistency or would you have rather have had one or two national championships during that 44 years, but then, you know, gone below 500 in back-to-back seasons when you're transitioning, you know, sometime in the 90s? That's a question that uh, I've always aired and said, I would rather have had consistency than the high water marks, but I acknowledge that not everybody agrees with that. Well, so football could be a good test on that, Keith, because let's say three, four years from now, Mike Norvell and the Knowles are in the college football playoff. Maybe FSU gets back to a national title in football, right? Then we can compare the late 80s and the 90s where you were consistent, but you look at it and say, probably should have won more than two national titles given how good you were. And you can compare that to 2001 on where you were down and not at the same level you once were, but you won in 13 and then you're down again. And then if you win again, you can look back at, at roughly comparable periods of time and say, okay, do I like a better or B better? 
And I think that will be, be exactly what it is. And I think people will have strong opinions one way or the other. I, in other words, I'm not sure there are very many people that are lukewarm on that issue. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So back to baseball, though, I don't have many Florida State Auburn baseball stories. Well, as I say that, Keith, it does occur to me that probably the most devastating postseason result in Florida State baseball history, arguably, I realize that's a big book. As it relates to Auburn was the 97 team, which was maybe Mike Martin's greatest team, certainly one of them on the short list for as long as he coached, didn't make it out of Dickhauser Stadium because Auburn and David Ross and Tim Hudson beat FSU that year. But that wasn't the story I was going to share, so I'll apologize for that one, folks. Sorry. Sometime when I was calling the games, I'm going to put it at 2009-ish, but it's kind of blurred together. I don't know. But we went to Auburn for a two-game series and played the Saturday game. I don't actually remember if FSU won or lost, but I remember there was a storm coming through and it was chilly. It must have been a March series. And sure enough, snow fell overnight and the Sunday game got snowed out. So I have been snowed out of a baseball broadcast at Auburn, if you can believe that. And if memory serves, I think you can say that you have uh, broadcasted snow games in both Virginia Tech and Boston if my memory serves. Well, no, they time. felt like snow games. It was cold <laughs> enough to have snow. I don't know that there was actually snow uh, flurrying around. But, uh, yeah, that, so that's, that's my recent Auburn uh, memory. Well, recent and not so recent Auburn memories. But Eric Allen will, will join us. And uh, Florida State was one of the last at-large teams in to extend that streak to 44 in a row. Uh, but that said, and we've said this all year, Keith, Nobody wants to face FSU because when their arms are on, they're as good as that collection as anybody has. And so if you get a quality start two games in a row and Wyatt Crowell pitches well out of the pen, you it's it, it's it, it's not only is it not impossible, it's not even really that improbable that FSU could win the regional. It's also not impossible or improbable that FSU could go 0 and 2. That that's what has been so frustrating at times about this program. Uh, particularly in this particular year, you know, the consistency versus the upside. Um, and certainly after you run rule Virginia at the ACC and the, in the pool play, and you got Messick on the mound against Notre Dame. Now I know Florida state has struggled with the Irish and I know that link is, is, a, is one of us and has done a great job uh, at South Bend, but you certainly felt really good going into that ball game. We'll get Lulu's opinion on how the regional stacks up for Florida State. We'll also be joined by Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. Matter of fact, he is in the on-deck circle, and he will join us right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. Let's open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, and say hello to the Osceola's very own Bob Ferrante. Hey, Bob. How are you, sir? Hey, guys. How are you? True or false, Bob? FSU and Auburn once played baseball, and the, the game was snowed out. Whoa. Um, I thought you were going to hit me with the 1997 question, but does the snow out? Tell me the story. Well, you have to go back and listen to our first segment. But, no, okay. we went up there, I don't know, I put it at 09. It was sometime between 07 and 13. That's when I was calling baseball games. Played a Saturday game. There was a storm coming through, and it was chilly. It had to be March, and uh, there was snow on the ground. And so the game was snowed out on Sunday, and we came back to Tallahassee. True story. Wow. Uh, you mentioned the 97. I, I brought that up in the first segment, too. Uh, that that So 
true or false there. That's FSU's best team never to make it to Omaha. It feels like that answer is true. I mean, man, David Ross uh, did Florida State dirty because he played his high school ball like, what, a quarter mile away at the old Florida High. And, um, you know, Tim Hudson is now a volunteer coach for Auburn. So there's there's a there's some weird, uh, odd tie-ins there that you hope Florida State can uh, can maybe get a little bit of mojo going against those guys this this weekend. Bob, do you have a recollection? Tommy and I didn't look it up, but you know, Florida State has had some success at Auburn. Uh, is my general takeaway? Uh, the '97 game was played in Tallahassee, and part of the reason why it was so heartbreaking. But you know, it hasn't been a, a house of horrors up on the plains for FSU from a baseball standpoint, as I recall. Yeah, I'll be honest. I haven't gone through the history. I know Auburn was here in the last, say, five years or so. And, um, you know, so there, there is definite history. I think these are teams that we would all love to see play more often. Um, I, I think I think those kind of ACC, SEC games are very favorable um, for the fans. And, and the, these campuses are really not that far apart, you know, 200 or so miles. And and these are kind of the games that honestly, when when you look at the committee and the committee's making a lot of decisions, they're doing it based on strength of schedule and, and how good you are playing these teams, how good of a schedule you're playing the regular season. Um, that came back to bite NC State a little bit, but Florida State has played, you know, the likes of, of TCU and Florida, um, as well as Georgia Southern and, and some other regional hosts like Miami and Louisville. So... I'm again, I'm all for say a neutral site series where we see a lot of ACC SEC schools go head to head. I think that's something this sport would really uh, would really crave to get some some big games, um, maybe on some national ESPN broadcast. That'd be really something fun for the sport. Well, we're going to break that down with Eric Lou Allen in our next segment, Bob. So we'll let you off the hook here on baseball. But uh, there's been flirtations and this happens every year i'm sure maybe not always as publicly about lonnie alameda maybe moving on but it appears she's staying put do you have any update on that yeah i think the door is pretty much shut on this one um you know it, it's always going to be i think because fcc schools purely just have money and because lonnie alameda's contract by comparison is not up there with a lot of those um, those SEC coaches. Um, you know, obviously, the one that that worries me the most and should worry most fans is Oklahoma. And and whenever Patty decides to, to hang it up, and um, Oklahoma is going to make some phone calls, and they're going to put a ton of money out there, and they're going to get just about whoever they want, and potentially that might be, you know, Lonnie Alameda down the road. I, I think in, in Florida State's case, they've done a lot of great things around this campus to improve facilities. Yeah, the shade structure, the scoreboard is coming. Um, you know, Lonnie Almeida will tell you she's got a vision for the stadium and some expanded seating, some some real big things um, for the program. And that's that's really cool when you have a coach who, who's got a vision for what will be the future here at Florida State. Um, I, I think, honestly, the, the bigger deal short-term and maybe long-term for Florida State is you're going to see assistant coaches go. Um, for example, Charlton Young was one example when he, he went to Missouri and he's coaching with a friend in Dennis Gates, but, but his salary was easily doubled. And, and that's something that's hard for Florida State with this, um, 
competitive imbalance because of the TV networks and the revenue there, it's going to be hard to match every assistant coach's contract, every administrator's contract. There's always going to be more money out there from, say, SEC and Big Ten schools. But I, I think in Lonnie's case, you know, specific to Texas A&M, the, the door's shut, happy that she's staying, of course. I, I think she's got that long-term deal that she really wants. And I think the administration and boosters have the vision to help her, you know, complete what she wants to do here for the long term. Well, and I think, and I agree with you, she very much is focused on the long term, but guys, you know, her short term isn't bad either. I know you're going to lose uh, Sid, you're going to lose Cat, uh, but there, there's some folks that are coming back for her that are going to form the nucleus of a very, very strong club uh, as immediately as next year, obviously. Yeah, and, and I mean they'll lose Danielle Watson. Cat is going to come back. Cat Sander. Cox, I'm sorry, so. you're correct. I had him, I had him yeah. reversed. I'm sorry. Yeah. My apologies. But it, it, it's great. It's a great situation to have. I, I mean, she has definitely groomed pitchers. For example, Mac Leonard is in a position as a transfer from uh, Illinois State. She did a little bit of pitching this year. She's going to do probably a lot more pitching next year. Uh, Lonnie's got some younger pitchers. She's really just losing. Um, you know, Megan Tomlinson, a, a kind of reserve role player, Danielle and, and Sid, of course, a huge one. So there, there are tremendous um, positions that you have to fill. I hate to use the words shoes to fill because with Sid Cheryl, it, it almost seems like that's an impossible task, uh, leadership, production, how you play third base. But Lonnie seems to recruit very, very well, develops players, puts them in tough positions in the regular season, in the postseason, so that they're kind of ready for those those roles as they come up in the future. Um, yeah, I, I think that's what's always fun to see is she has accumulated a roster that's going to be fun to watch. It's filled with some of the best players from around the state, the Southeast, and the nation, and it's going to be highly, highly competitive yet again. Bob, let's go to football. We uh, saw Florida State announced another offensive lineman has arrived. We talked about him last week. And then uh, a guy that had signed previously announced that he is officially uh, here and open for business, uh, so to speak, or ready to work, really, to put it more accurately. Keith, you may not have seen this, but Julian Armella got out the social media machine and basically said, don't worry, folks, I'm going to help get us back to where FSUs used to be in and I'm ready to work and let's do it, that sort of thing. Impressions on that statement that he made, Bob. Yeah, I think that's a, a guy who understands what he's going to have to do at the college level to be successful in the classroom, on the field, weight room, all that. He, he knows it because you know his dad played here. And I think that, that's great when you are raised that way. Um, I've had the pleasure not to interview him, but uh, Charles Fishbein has interviewed him. And, and he's, he's an impressive young man. He's, he's very mature, um, understands the road that's ahead of him. And I think with Dimitri Emanuel, um, somewhat similar. He, he's a one-year grad transfer from Charlotte, but understands exactly what Alex Atkins is going to demand from him. Um, I thought it was, it was crazy to hear Dimitri say he had six offensive line coaches at Charlotte. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. And it does tell you that Charlotte developed some good young coaches and their success means those coaches are moving on, just like Alex Atkins did. But I, I think familiarity won out. Um, Dimitri knew Alex, knew the expectations, wanted to be pushed 
there is a spot for him to potentially start right away at right guard. That would seem to be the best fit for Dimitri. I think he'll fit in really, really well. Uh, versatility, leadership, 25 starts under his belt. Um, and again, as, as we look back historically, Mike Norvell, Alex Atkins, have been looking for eight dependable offensive linemen, eight guys who are versatile. You can kind of move around a little bit, guard, center, tackle. I, I think Emmanuel fits what they're looking for. I, I think they're not yet two eight, but they've got some good candidates, maybe in that, that seven or eight spot that you say, those guys can develop in late July and August. Um, you have to like where the offensive line room is going, especially from a run blocking standpoint. Still a lot of work to do, I think, from a, from a pass protection standpoint, though. Bob, this is the time of year. You, you go back to when I played 40, 50 years ago. We were all at home doing our own thing. But all these kids are in Tallahassee now. They've got limited amount of time they can get into the weight room under supervision. But they're on the field activities have to be, you know, student-led or, or, or upperclassmen-led. Um, how do you think the makeup of the leadership of, of this club for the next six or seven weeks before they get started in late July is going to play out? And, and have you heard anything relative to comments made by folks uh, with these, quote-unquote, summer workouts? Yeah, I mean, honestly, nothing specific. But I think what we've seen is, is Mike Norvell is, has enabled the leaders to go out there and and take charge. And they have to because coaches can't be out there by NCAA rule. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're seeing guys who are more comfortable in their roles. Jordan Travis is a great example of a guy who wasn't quite as sure of himself, say 16, 18 months ago. Now, in part because of Mackenzie Milton pushing him, in part because Jordan is just confident in what he's done on the field. He, he's, he's very, very comfortable. I think you can look at just about every position group and, and, you know, feel free to do it. Go, go on the roster, look at the names there. There are leaders at just about every position group, often more than one. Uh, Dylan Gibbons, Robert Scott, great examples there. Treshawn Ward at running back, defensive line, veteran group. Jared Verse looks and acts like a veteran, even though he's only been here very, very minimal amount of time. Uh, Tatum Bethune sounds like a guy. Jamie Robinson wants to be a, a high school coach one one day. Kind of kind of acts like it and talks like it at times too. So you're you're seeing each group has guys who can really step up and and kind of set the tone for those younger players. Um, you know, we we've discussed in past years Norvell's program has been very young. It's been a roster without experience. It's been a lot of freshmen. Um, you know, sophomores, those types, but now we're seeing it, it's an older group of, of say sophomores, juniors, and, and some seniors mixed in there. So that's what you like to see. That's the kind of leadership that I think will kind of carry this team through the summer and into those first few days of camp, which, you know, really not too far off really in, in late July. Bob, in our final minute and a half here, the track team on Tuesday moved up to number three nationally, and uh, we'll talk track next week. I'm talking about the men's team. That's as high as they've been in some time. So they're kind of a little bit under the radar, I'd say, among FSU fans, maybe not in track circles. But And, and Trey Cunningham, who's been on the show, he just ran the fastest time in the world again, fifth fastest in college history. He's, he's sort of low-key, got a chance to go down, maybe as one of the best track athletes in FSU history. 
Trey is, is just a great interview, a really confident guy, loves the, the hurdles. Um, they've had some great sprint teams they've put together, you know, four by 100, four by 400. Uh, we're going to get a chance to kind of interview some of those uh, competitors before they go out to Eugene in the coming days and, and looking forward to talking with them. Um, and another familiar name, Amani Heaven, uh, the daughter of Donald Heaven, is going to be out there um, in, in the throwing competition. So good to see some familiar names. Good to see a lot of su success, especially on the men's side with the track and field program, for sure. Bob Frante, our Osceola insider. You're heading to Auburn this weekend. Is that right for baseball? Yep, going to get an early start Friday morning and head on up for a good weekend of baseball. All right, we'll save travels to you. Report back next week. Hopefully, we'll be talking. Uh, it'd be a long drive if you if you make it to next weekend and where the Supers will, will be. But we'll discuss that with Lulu when he joins us next. Uh, stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. More to come right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, as promised, we'll continue our baseball conversation with uh, the expert gentleman who's been kind enough to join us on a fairly regular basis, and he's been well, he's the longtime voice of the Seminole baseball team at this point. We'll reopen that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to Eric Llewellyn. How are you, Lulu? Good. How you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. This is always the uh, the fun time of year as the calendar gets set to turn to June. And Florida State, I don't think very surprisingly, based on the way the last week or two played out, a lot of the mocks had FSU going to Auburn. Is that where you had them penciled or what you expected as far as the regionals go? I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, we'd seen Auburn, we'd seen Hattiesburg, we'd seen uh, Statesboro. So uh, we'd seen Gainesville even. So uh, the fact that it ended up being one of those four, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise to anybody. Lulu is hoping for the uh, Auburn Corvallis uh, double dip. Is that right? So uh, the Auburn trip would be a little bit shorter uh, than, than next weekend, but that would be a good problem to have. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, it wouldn't be that much shorter because uh, one would be a uh, one would be a charter with no wings, and one would be a charter with wings. So I, I, I mean, yeah, it would be a little bit longer, but probably not that much longer. Uh, I, I, I hear Oregon's lovely. Never been. Well, hopefully, you get that chance uh, before we before we break I mean, this I, down. I, I've never I've never actually said I'd really like to go to Corvallis, but hey, maybe we'll get a chance. <laughs> I'll let Keith jump here in here in a minute, Lulu, but uh, we, we did this at the top of the show. But do, it, do you have to? Well, uh, you know, his name is on the show, too, so I'm just I'm going to go ahead okay. and let him. But uh, we, we tried to give justice to this at the top of the show, but it's easy to gloss over the fact that it's 44 straight postseason appearances because it's just what Florida State baseball does. But when you consider that the next longest streak is like 16 right now in terms of active, and I think that's Vanderbilt, it, it, it really does – point out how remarkable a, a streak that is for FSU. Well, I, you know, I think it's funny because for a lot of years, people have just kind of thought that at FSU, you just open the door, roll the baseballs out and you make it to postseason. And, and people have acted like that, that that isn't a big accomplishment. Uh, but if that's the case, you know, you, you look at Miami who missed in 2017 and 2018, you look at Florida who's missed, you know, at some point, uh, obviously, since they don't have a streak like that going on, you look at, you know, you said Vanderbilt was 16 straight. 
And that's a pretty remarkable run. And it's still quite a bit short of 44. I, I think that's something that you really, if you're dismissing that as uh, just, well, that's what the program does and, and it's pretty easy to do. So Florida State's just able to kind of open the doors, roll the balls out and grab a bat and they're able to get it done. I, I think that's really selling short what Florida State's been able to accomplish over the years with that consistency. Tell us about the field. What do you think? They open with UCLA. Should they win? Uh, they likely get Auburn. Uh, well, I'll save my next question, but general thoughts on the field and the matchups. Well, you know, as far as UCLA, I, I think they're a ball club that, that's had a lot of injury issues. They've lost, well, th this past weekend in the um, Pac-12 tournament, they had, I think they were without four guys who have been weekend starters at some point this season. Uh, Max Radjic is a guy that, that Florida State will probably see on Friday, and he did not pitch this past weekend due to an oblique strain. Uh, but they do expect him to be available, and I would think that we'd get him. But then they've got, uh, like I said, three other guys in various states of injury who have been weekend starters for them this year uh, who they haven't had for a while. Um, they might get one of those guys back, but, again, I, I think we'll see Max Radjic, so I don't think that's really going to factor in uh, to a matchup with Florida State, at least the first go-around. Um, it, it's a, a ball club that really had to strain themselves in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, I don't know how much you, you paid attention to the Pac-12 tournament, but um, I know Friday night was rather entertaining. They had a, an eight-run lead going into the last inning and ended up tying it at 21 to go into extra innings. Then Oregon State scored in the top of the, 20, uh, top of the 10th inning to go up 22-21. Then <laughs> UCLA... Uh, loaded the bases and balked in uh, Oregon State balked in the tying run and then a guy hit a three-run jack uh, to win it in the bottom of the 10th inning then they had to come back and play another game after that um, so uh, UCLA's bullpen they used 12 guys on Friday and their bullpen threw 445 pitches <laughs> I, you know pretty normal day I guess for a bullpen but um, I, I guess it's good that they, they get a little bit of time off in between that, but it is going to be, you know, again, it's a staff that's short three guys. Uh, was short four guys last weekend, short at least three guys coming into this weekend. So uh, that should be enough time to rest. But at the same time, you know, how much gas does their bullpen have left in the tanks after that kind of season where they've had to have guys step up and, and assume roles that maybe they weren't expecting to. Um, offensively, again, they've, they've had a couple of position players hurt. Uh, they're hoping to get a couple of guys back on the position side of things. Um, interestingly enough, they scored 60 runs in five games this past weekend. They were averaging less than six runs per game going into the Pac-12 uh, Pac tournament. Then they scored 60 in five games, so they're averaging about six and a half runs per game. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a fairly consistent lineup top to bottom. Uh, but really nobody whose numbers jump out at you. Um, so it's, you know, it's not one of those where they're really heavy one to four or one to five, and then maybe you get a little breather in the bottom of the lineup. You, you've basically, you're going to see nine guys that, uh, you know, maybe there isn't a guy in there with 15 or 20 home runs, but they're going to have nine guys that can all do a little bit of damage to you if you, if you catch them on the right day. Lulu, Tom has mentioned, and I echo it, that when Florida State's pitching, particularly their starters, is where it needs to be. This is a very, very good ball club. 
what what do you anticipate from Florida State starters? I know it's been hit or miss a little bit, but what are your thoughts? Well, I, I would assume that, and they haven't announced anything yet uh, as of the moment that we're recording this, but I would assume that we'll see Parker Messick on Friday. And then regardless of the outcome on Friday, you'll get Bryce Hubbard on Saturday. What they'll do past that, I don't know. Um, you know, Carson Montgomery has had a couple of rough outings. Uh, Ross Dunn has had his struggles, which landed him in the bullpen, though he looked good out of the bullpen uh, in Charlotte this past weekend. Um, I, you know, and I also wonder, too, if there's going to be any kind of thought to Wyatt Crowell has been as good as they are, not just on Florida State staff, but in the country, uh, essentially since about his sixth appearance of the season on. I, I, I want to say over the last 42 innings, I think he's got an ERA of uh, around 1.6. Um, I, you know, I do wonder if there's going to be any kind of thought if you get through games one and games two and you get to a third game, wherever that comes, whether it's in the loser's bracket or not, uh, and you haven't had to use Wyatt Crowell, do you use him as a starter or do you go to uh, a guy like Connor Whitaker, who's been very good this year, but hasn't been used as a starter yet? Or do you go with either a Ross Dunn or a Carson Montgomery? Uh, that's part, I, I don't know what their plans are as far as that goes. And, and again, I, you know, I think, I, I don't think we'll be surprised when we find out who Friday's starter is, but I do wonder how the pitching is going to line up behind that uh, after you get by Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard, if you're playing a third game for Florida State. Lulu, what can Wyatt Crow go in the opposite way of what you just said? If they do have to use him, uh, can he give you two innings Friday and a couple more on Sunday? You know, if, if Messick gets you seven innings, and I know Parker has not been himself maybe the last few starts, but is, is that a scenario that would play out or could play out? I, I you know, I think it's – I don't know what they'd be comfortable doing as far as bringing him back. Uh, I, I don't know that getting two innings out of him and bringing him back the next day would be something that you'd see out of Wyatt Crowell. Um, so that being said, I don't know what the comfort level would be as far as a pitch count for him to come back, to throw on Friday and come back on Sunday. So I, I don't really, you know, that's a long way of saying, I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, you know, I do know going back to the ACC tournament game, uh, he came out when it was 13 to three and, and he'd already thrown 28 pitches at that point. So they knew he's not going to be available for Notre Dame the next day. They also were in a situation where it's either get three more outs without giving up a run, or you've got to get six outs. So they didn't want to mess around with having that game extended into a ninth inning since they had that 10 run lead and the mercy rule was in effect. Uh, so I, I do know at, at 28 pitches, they probably wouldn't have been uh, comfortable bringing him back without a day's rest. Uh, but I don't know what that comfort level would be when he's got a day's rest. Which also, you know, goes back to, do you think about maybe using him as a starter in a game this weekend, if you can get through without having to go to him in the bullpen? I think Keith is having some difficulties catching up with us here, the, the wonders of technology here, Lulu. So let me, I'll jump back in. Keith? Yeah, Keith's nodding his head saying he's I think he's getting bits and pieces of it. So, Lulu, uh, this will be the, the Keith Jones list uh, uh, section of the show <laughs> segment of the show. Um, it's, so it's going to be just like Keith Jones on social media. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Twitterless Keith Jones. You know, I uh, still can't hear you if you can't hear me all the time. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Well, Keith, if you would like to message me questions to ask Lulu, we'll get to that next. <laughs> 
Lulu, the Jekyll and Hyde uh, nature of this uh, year's team, uh, you know, kind of your thoughts on the just, just when we think things are going right, the wheels come off, and just when we think things are going wrong, all of a sudden Florida State puts up a performance like they had against Virginia. I guess at this point, this many games in, that's just what this team is. It is. I, I mean, you're, you, you know, you just hope that, that they get hot at the right time. And the right time, obviously, we're at that time right now. Uh, I, you know, you go back and you see a team the way they played against Miami in taking two out of three against the Hurricanes, and then they go and get swept at North Carolina, and you go, oh, man, I, you know, it's a terrible time for that kind of performance. But you look back at that, at that series, uh, Thursday, they hit a home run in the eighth to take the lead and then give up a walk-off home run in the ninth to lose that game. Um, then they, they can't win either uh, Friday or Saturday, but you know, is that Jekyll and Hyde coming out in Florida State just playing terrible baseball? Or is that, you know, look at North Carolina over the last uh, probably 15 to 18 games of the season. And, you know, they, they took it all the way to the, the ACC championship in Charlotte. So, uh, you know, again, they, you've got two to tango in that. And so is that Florida State just playing poorly? Or is that North Carolina a very, very, very hot team? They played their way into a host. And there was talk about them maybe even playing their way into a top eight seed. They ended up the 10 seed. Uh, you know, they, they went to Charlotte and, and could have had the heads hung after the way the season ended. But then they uh, win that game against Virginia in the fashion that they did and almost came back against Notre Dame. Uh, you know, again, you have Brock Mathis. If a ball hits about uh, goes up about three feet from where it landed or from where it hit, uh, you've got a tie ball game there in the in the ninth inning. Speaking of North Carolina winning the ACC and, and moving up to a 10 seed, Lulu, it, it would appear, and, and Meet talked about this a little bit, that the committee was not overly favorable to the ACC with NC State getting left out, Notre Dame didn't get to host. Your, your thoughts on, on how the committee treated the ACC and maybe just the caliber of competition in the ACC this year based on your years of experience seeing the league uh, week in, week out? Well, I, you know, again, that NC State gets left out. They they had some some rough patches throughout the course of the season, but that's still a team that ended up uh, in the final of the ACC tournament against you know a very good North Carolina team, as we mentioned. Uh, it, it's weird to see them get left out. Uh, Notre Dame not getting a host is I, the second year in a row that they've got left out of the host sites. And are they getting punished for facilities there? Um so are they weighing facilities more than they're weighing a team's accomplishment? Uh, I do have questions about that. And then the, the inconsistencies with which they make some judgments and you hear it when they, and, and you hear it in basketball, you hear it in baseball too. You hear it when they describe the, the process by which they came to these conclusions. And you know, I know when, when uh, the head of the committee yesterday, that I believe he's the athletic director at West Point, when he was asked, how do you, how does Notre Dame not end up as a, as a host? Um, he said, well, you know, you can't just look at top 50 and sometimes you have to kind of drill down and, and look at their record in the top against top 25. And I went and looked at that. And I, I think Notre Dame was something like four and five or five and six or something like that against teams that were RPI top 25, but then East Carolina, not only is hosting, they're a number eight seed, which means they could be hosting in a super regional. And East Carolina is two and seven against top 50 RPI. Uh, you look at Maryland, Maryland's three and five against top 50 of the RPI. So we're, we're punishing Notre Dame for their record against top 25 
in the RPI while we're rewarding teams like Maryland and, and East Carolina who don't have impressive records against top 50. Um, so there, there are just some inconsistencies there. And, you know, Aaron Fitt from D1Baseball.com brought up a good point. He said, you know, this is uh, another year where the ACC doesn't have representation on the selection committee. And, and it's a shame that it comes down to that, where you can even have questions about that. Uh, but I, I think he brings up a good point. Uh, there's nobody in that room fighting for teams from the Atlantic Coast Conference, uh, which, you know, again, going off of RPI is right up there neck and neck with the SEC for the toughest baseball conference in, in college baseball. Lulu, we need to cut it here, but uh, breakfast baseball for you, an 11 a.m. Central uh, call, uh, 1045 probably airtime on, uh, on Friday. Have a good call. Have a good weekend. Well, and it's even more breakfast baseball for UCLA. Yeah, good, good point. <laughs> Excellent point. All right, we'll take a break. Come back and finish up the show right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Thanks, as always, to Eric Allen for joining the show. And, Keith, sorry that you had some technical difficulties. You know, but that's the price you pay when you mail it in from the beach. I'm just going to say, Keith, you know, if you're going to be down there, hold up. Maybe the maybe the service, the connectivity is not what it is for those of us that are forced to stay in town. But you're living highbrow. I, I see how it is. Well, I'll just have to live with it then because I'm here and there you and go. I'm, and I'm not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> What's your thoughts on, I mean, what do you expect from this baseball team? I don't know how anybody could be definitive in what they expect. They're either going to go 0-2 or they're going to win it. I mean, that's they're on either end of the spectrum. It depends on which group shows up. And, you know, Eric talked about it. Uh, Messick's last, last, you know, two of his last four, two of his last three starts, not, not exactly what you would expect out of him uh, in terms of consistency through the first eight or ten games of the year. Uh, they run rule Virginia and then can't buy a hit uh, against Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, it, I think it'll be feast or famine. I'm not here to tell you which one I think it will be. I know which one I hope it will be, but I think it'll be feast or famine with this group. Yeah, well, that's what the track record from this year would tell you. It's going to be one or the other. Hey, real quickly, uh, the ACC a couple of weeks ago, Keith, when they had their meetings in Amelia, we talked a lot about the scheduling setup and not that we have resolution on that, but that topic is out there again for the SEC as they're meeting over in Sandestin, close to where you are, actually. Maybe you should go over there and say hello to Jimbo, and, and maybe you could take Jimbo and Nick to lunch this week because it's not that far <laughs> from where you are. Uh, yeah, it'll be breakfast or lunch. I don't want anything that has an alcoholic beverage involved. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the SEC is toying with one permanent partner, and then rotating the other seven schools over two years or three permanent partners and, and doing the rotation from there. I think they're liable to wind up with three permanent partners. What it does is it creates inequity in that one team will have four home games, four home conference games, while others will have five in a certain year. But I think that's where they're likely to land. What do you think? I believe that would be it. And the other thing that I'm hearing that's getting a little traction and, and this is a whole nother conversation 
is whether they want to expand to nine league games. Well, that no, uh, that's that's related. I should have clarified that. Yeah, if if you go to the nine league games, obviously nine's not divisible by two. You can't have four and a half home. Correct. Games. So it's related and, to their scheduling. So, but do you think they'll do that? Nick Nick Saban's in favor of the nine conference games, but then again, you got your best team and you, and you have the unlucky schedule drawn that you only have four home games that year. That's the price of being in a conference. If you want to continue to get that forty-two or forty-four million dollar check every year, then uh, that's the way you're going to have. It. And Notre Dame can schedule however they want to, okay? But they don't get that check. So yes, I've always been a proponent. Of, of going to nine conference games, even in the ACC, recognizing that that's going to hurt some things for Florida State individually as it relates to the home and home with Florida and things of that nature. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, I never personally thought when you expanded to 12 games that only eight of them being in conference was the way that should be. I, I always thought it should be nine, but what do I know? We'll see where it lands. By the way, that forty-two to forty-four million dollar check—that was that was like the 2019-2020 check, Keith. That that number's moved up. It, it it's moved up. But your point is the same. If if you want to share in it, then you you go with what the conference decides, right? Well, I was using the ACC with a discount, and then the time value of money, and bringing it back to present value. You've definitely lost me now, but that's why you teach in the College of Business and I do not, although you teach risk management. So from a risk management perspective, is nine conference games, if you're in the SEC, the better way to go? I'm going to vote yes. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let you get back to the beach. Uh, somebody's got to do it. We appreciate Bob Frante joining us. Appreciate Eric Llewellyn joining us. Knowles play Friday at noon against Auburn. Keith, we'll do this again next week. I thought uh, uh, Lulu's comment about it being real early for UCLA is very insightful. They'll, they'll be having uh, uh, biscuits and gravy on the planes. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, we're out of time. Thanks for tuning in as always. We'll talk to you next week, folks.